0: We don't have like issues with guys. We don't have problems with guys. You know, they take care of their business. Having good players, having good staff, having good people around, I think just breeds that that energy of, of being a good dude. Like just don't suck as a person. And, and so having that, like where everybody's a bunch of good dudes. And then we have really, really good baseball players. So like you have really good baseball players who are really good dudes who do things the right way. Like all of a sudden things just kind of fall into place.
1: Welcome back, or welcome to the Up Close in Personnel podcast show. I'm your host, Alex Brown, Director of Recruiting at Rice University, and it's week one. Football season's back. My Rice Owls are playing today, 2.30 Central Standard Time against the Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders, and uh, you better check us out on ESPN3. Now, this week's podcast, I have an awesome guest from the Dodgers organization, manager of the Ogden Raptors, Tony Capicelli Now, the World Series is going on right now. It's 7.52 on a Friday night. We're looking at the top of the third. And this episode was actually recorded a week ago when the Dodgers completed their three to one comeback series victory in the NLCS. As a member of the Dodgers organization since 2017, Tony's heading into his third World Series run. So after losing 2017 and 2018, this is a big one for them. So, there were so many things to take away from this episode, but from a preview standpoint, the main takeaway that I have is that building great teams and organizations starts with one thing that's finding great people first and foremost. Personally, I really enjoyed hearing Tony talk about his approach to the coaching profession, how much pride he takes in getting the most out of his players and how he adjusts his coaching style and voice to what the player needs at that moment in time. From a scouting perspective, this show really takes a deep dive into the Dodgers process for identifying talent and exactly what scouts are tasked with providing minor league coaches in order to maximize the player development stage. Scouts paint the picture of the player's ability level, the type of person he is, how he communicates and takes coaching and what he needs to work at, at that level of ball. Thank you for your time. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe. Rate the show five stars if you liked it. Share it. And help spread the word about Up Close in Personnel. With that, I'll now turn to my conversation with Tony capicelli Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um...
0: Tony, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You know,
1: um, before we get into the conversation, you've coached at literally every single level of baseball. I gotta know what's the the worst your last
0: name has been butchered by one of your players. It's it's actually not from players. It's not been that bad because um, they shorten it to Cap right away. Yep. Uh, but but when I was playing, it was really bad. Like you you'd hear some. Some interesting uh some interesting variations when we were on the road sometimes. And I had a couple announcers just give up on it too. One guy introduced me as Tony. Just Tony. Yeah. Because that was that that's what happened
1: on our first call when, when I called you. I was like, oh my oh, God. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna really screw this up. I'm just gonna say Tony. Um, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so uh, Lucas Jaden, a friend of the show, jumped on a couple podcast mm-hmm. episodes ago, got us introduced, and when we got on the phone earlier, I guess last week, the coolest thing that I got from you is that you really, during this whole COVID time period, kind of leaned into like, all right, like, what do I want out of this? Like, you know, what are the things that I'm excited about, interested in, even outside of baseball, even outside of my career that, you know, what, I'm just going to enjoy life and really pursue the things that I'm passionate about. So it's like the recruiting thing, you start a website, talk about coffee, you got the bourbon, you know, review website and even taking real estate classes so like how has this i guess covid as crazy as it sounds it seems like it's been really productive for you even though obviously things got shut down for a while
0: yeah i think we we got to that point where we knew things were probably heading down a bad path once our season got canceled in in june and i'd already kind of got onto a pretty good start you know there was some some calls um, that were going on with cody royal and fergus conley and i was getting up at like 4:30 in the morning every day to, to be on that call just to hear what those guys had to say and i think i developed a pretty good routine throughout that time and as things started going it's like again like you said it's it's kind of a hard thing to say but it's like we're never gonna have this opportunity in our life ever again and i think it has to be almost looked at as an opportunity um yeah keep yourself safe and obviously you don't want to um, go out and, and put yourself or any loved ones at risk but you're, you're not gonna have an opportunity where you can be home like be with your wife you know you really have the time to, to to really like dig into things that you wouldn't normally have an opportunity to do so um for me like doing the real estate was kind of it's like something else that's outside of baseball that i've never done that's just completely outside of anything i know um so i'm like yeah why not let's give it a try so i think just trying to use this time as an opportunity and, and not really look back and go man i had all this free time uh i really wish i would have done something better with it so that was that was kind of my thought process for it
1: so what did your what did your routine look like once you were like in the middle of covid because obviously it's a ton of zoom calls i know you had just gotten the ogden manager's job within the Dodgers organization you had been working with them since 2017
0: but um how did you put together your routine and, and what did that look like a big part of it was you know going from my position where i was with the dodgers um, to now being in a, you know, quote-unquote leadership position with as a manager, you know, now I've got players, now I've got staff, you know, now I've got I've to use each staff member's strength in this really weird time of, like, how can we maximize everybody's strengths while well, we've got players, you know, that are here all over the states, the players in the Dominican Republic, um, trying to set up a Zoom call where you've got half your team in the U.S., half your team in the Dominican. Um, and then the guys that are you know a lot of our venezuelan players were were basically stuck here so they're in a hotel room here uh, by themselves not able to do anything so trying to organize team zoom calls uh, was getting pretty pretty hectic trying to do that so really trying to trying to figure out ways to maximize everybody's strengths and then get on a schedule that we could you know consistently have calls and and have some good interaction with our players was really a big deal for us so for me, it was like get up early, get on that call with with Cody and Fergus, um, and then pretty much get my day started. It was my staff was that I had with me it was incredible. So we had everything pretty much mapped out, you know, pretty well ahead of time. Um, so so day to day it was you know do the call, kind of get ready for whatever team stuff we had, um, and then I would get out and go on my hour and a half, two hour long walk, so I could you know kill some books. And that was kind of the other thing was I was trying to read and listen to as many audibles as I could and. So I, I wound up taking these long walks and, you know, started kind of watching what I ate and I, was, I dropped 45 pounds. Like I was, I was on it. Wow. It was, it was, a, it was a, it was a productive time. So beating into that, like that flow of things was really helpful for me. Um, and then once things started kind of opening back up and we kind of started getting back to regular life, it was like, man, I kind of missed that routine.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, when you're like in complete control of your day. And I, I think that's the, the biggest kicker. So I've heard you talk on other podcasts about, you knew you wanted to coach in high school. At an early, early age, you knew that this is what you wanted to do. And you graduated in 99. That was a really cool time for baseball. I was born in 92, but my brother, who was born in 87, my dad, are like baseball fanatics. So we always had the the World Series VCR. So like the 95 uh, Braves World Series and the 01 D-backs Yankees. Those were like the two, for whatever reason, that were always on repeat. But obviously you're a Huntington Beach, California guy. What was the influence like at a young age that you just said like, you know what? Like, this is what I want to do with my life.
0: I had really good coaches in high school um, and I loved their, like their rapport with each other. Um, they were, you know, younger guys. One had just gotten them playing in pro ball. Um, one was, you know, a college All-American. Um, they just related so well to the players. And that relationship where, you know, you knew like they were going to smoke you if you did something wrong but they also, like, they were going to be the first people that you could go talk to if you needed them to be a resource. And just that that relationship that you had with those guys was was really cool. Um, you know, obviously, you know, it's like everybody else. I wanted to play in the big leagues, you know, and, and especially in that area, area growing up, like in Southern California, we were so lucky. Like, Cal State Fullerton was on a roll back then. You know, Long Beach State, like, going to watch those guys. We went to more college games than we did, you know, professional games. So getting to see, you know, Mark Cotse play over at Cal State Fullerton when I was you know, just getting into high school was like, that was incredible. So seeing the good baseball and then knowing that like our coaches had a lineage that was to, you know, the Augie Garrido's and George Horton, like those guys that were icons in this game. Um, it, it was, that was really what motivated me to want to coach. Hopefully it was going to be after, you know, I just get done retiring from baseball right now. It just didn't happen to work out that way. Talk about
1: kind of uh, how you've been able to navigate this industry. Obviously, it's different than the majority of our listeners are football side, but I think it all applies. And that's why I've had a couple of baseball guys on the podcast, because, you know, as far as, you know, at the end of the day, talent is talent. Right. And building successful teams and successful organizations is universal. Right. So for you, like what's allowed you just kind of looking back at the places that you've been, what's allowed you to continually make those jumps from, you know, freshman high school to junior college to d1 to now with the dodgers organization like what's allowed you to be able to make those steps because obviously like you have to have a certain level of knowledge and you have to network and and connect and all those things but some i heard you say where you you said you know when you're coaching players you know if you had the same swing at 20 that you did at 13 um, did you get any better right so like what did you have to do with your swing from a career standpoint as you made those jumps?
0: You know, you're, you're constantly, constantly evolving and you're, and you're, you're going to have to evolve to the level either that you're, you're at, or you want to be at. You know, I was coaching in high school. like I knew I wanted to coach in college. Um, that was, that was my goal. It was just about my path to get there. I, I think I got into it at a time where, you know, the whole idea was you got to pay your dues. You're going to have to, to pay your dues and you're going to have to move up. And um, we're not going to be able to microwave this thing. Um, like palminary is not calling me when I'm a freshman high school coach and asking me to join a staff at LSU. So you better pay your dues and work your way up and not, not try and rush it. The best thing for me was going and getting through high school baseball, where we spent six years there and we had some really successful teams and knowing that I wanted to coach in college and, you know, I was reaching out, it's not like I was not reaching out, I was trying every there was so many letters going out, emails and everything you can't even imagine. And it just didn't happen. You know, then we was trying to take a high school coach and looking to go anywhere in the country to, find, to, to land a college job. So luckily for us in Orange County, um, the junior colleges were really good. So I was reaching out to all the junior colleges and, um, you know, luckily got got a junior college job. And, and I was able to teach some classes to kind of help myself financially. So being able to like take that step from high school and the junior college, and then you get in junior college, you get so much time with guys. Like you were, you were digging in there with guys and you know, you don't have, we didn't have the technology that's available right now. We didn't have any of that stuff. So it's just like, get your hands dirty, roll your sleeves up, go to work and dig in with guys. And we're going to have long practices and it's going to, it's going to be, you know, a grind for lack of a better term. And you're going to get out and really, like, really learn how to coach. And I think that's the level that kind of sometimes gets overlooked, both in the recruiting process and sometimes in the coaching process. Like, if you can go and coach junior college successfully, you've got a chance to really be a, a good coach. And we we weren't good. Like, we didn't win a lot of games. We were able to develop some players and get guys out to four-year schools, which we really felt was our job as a, as a junior college coaching staff. But for the most part, like, we didn't win very, well, very much. But – knowing that you can get in there and like teach technique and like really be able to push players and teach them the things they need to learn to move on to the next level. And there's, there's something to that that I think sometimes right now is getting overlooked. I think sometimes we get really caught up in the tech and the numbers and um, we get caught up in a lot of the things that are byproducts of doing things the right way, but we're not really like digging in and teaching guys how to do things the right way so that they can get those results that they want. So for me, it was really like, you know, don't, don't rush it, kind of pay my dues. I mean, you know, I did the junior college, I was doing summer ball, you know, went out to the Cape Cod League for a year, spent four years uh, managing up in Alaska, um, you know, just kind of taking my time. And then I, I actually had a couple of division one offers to go as a volunteer assistant and they just weren't the right fit. And I think that looking back, it was right for me to not take that jump at that time because it wasn't the right fit for me. And so it goes back to like some of the recruiting stuff where that fit becomes everything i I was really lucky to be at two division one schools that were a good fit for me if you find yourself in a position that's not a good fit it's going to be really difficult and it's going to kind of kind of taint your view of you know coaching as a profession overall if you have a really bad fit and you're you're just really trying to get through the day and you're not maximizing what you can get out of it
1: what about those opportunities that came up college-wise trigger you to understand hey that that's not the right fit for me what what about those situations didn't feel right for you
0: uh it it was it was either location um it was i mean part of it knowing that i was going to be going in as a volunteer assistant um you know kind of mid-major schools that as a volunteer i wasn't going to be able to get much of a of a uh, chunk of the camp money which really would be my only source of income um you know so i'm going to end up going you know three quarters of the way across the country and not being able to make any money and and have to get a side job. And really the the couple of offers that I had, that's what it would have come down to is I'd have to get a side job, miss being in the office in the morning, have to work to make some money. And, you know, as you know, like if you're not the stuff that goes on in the office from a career perspective is equally as valuable to the stuff that's going on on the field in terms of, you know, being able to learn how the system works, learn the recruiting, learn the NCAA stuff um, you know, understanding how each program, each sport decides to, you know, keep an eye on players, whether it's their, you know, social, their academic, whatever part of that life it is that you're trying to really keep your, uh, keep your, your head on. And, um, missing that just wasn't going to be really good for me. I really wanted to, if I was going to do it, I was going to be all in. I was going to be able to be in the office every day and, and then go to practice and I'd be there afterwards and, and do whatever had to be done. So just knowing that, that wasn't going to work. It just, it was going to be too forced for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a lot to be said about that as far as like trying like hell to to make it in this industry, but it's gotta, it's gotta be a a realistic thing. Like you can't just, you know, go out there and burn through your savings in a month and then be like, Oh, well I tried. Um, You gotta be a little more calculated than that. What was it like living in Alaska? How, How different was that?
0: That was, you know, the Alaska uh, so it was for summer ball. Um, so we'd go up there, you know, late May and, and be out of there in uh, mid August. And it was incredible. I mean, I'd, I'd have no reason to go up to Alaska. I'm not much of a fisherman and I'm terrible at golf, but, um, I found myself playing golf every day pretty much and being terrible still. Um, but you know, it's just, it was for the experience. I mean, there were some things that I kind of lost sight of when I went up there, you know, I think I went up there with the idea of we're going to develop players and, you know, get guys into a, environment where they can kind of thrive where, you know, let's be honest. Like when you're around your 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 college coach, sometimes it's a little bit more difficult. You can be on pins and needles a little bit. Um, at least in baseball, I think guys are really trying to constantly impress their coaches. And not it doesn't exist in other sports, but I maybe mean, it's because of the lower numbers. Um, you know, but you're you're around your head coach so much that you're 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 pressing a little bit. And when guys it's it's kind of widely known. Guys go out to summer ball and they go off and they do really well. And it's like, well, a reason he's doing well every summer when he goes out to play and he doesn't do as well at school I and mean, we had a couple of guys like that we one dude's in the big leagues right now who never played well at school and went out and performed every year in summer ball and went went in the first round and so there's there's some legitimacy to you know the levels that's being um put together in those leagues you, know, you get up to alaska you get to like the cape or northwoods like there's some really good players there and you can really validate your your ability as a player in those leagues so I lost sight of that development side and, and got geared more towards myself and thinking, all right, we need to win. Like, like anybody's going to care if we win the Alaska baseball league summer championship. It's important to me, but to nobody else. Um, so once we got back to like being able to develop guys and, and allowing them to really like get their relationships with each other, with dudes from other schools um, guys that they're still, you still see on Facebook guys that I coach in like 2011 from different schools and opposite sides of the country are still connected. Um, that part's really cool. So that but there was a block now we we would have some uh, some late night fishing and uh expeditions and a couple bear run-ins and and it was uh, an incredible opportunity and experience and I'd go back there in a heartbeat if uh, if the time allowed
1: yeah and and you you made it kind of talked about one of the players that you know you got a chance to work with and I want to know since you've worked there you worked at Cape Cod now you're with Ogden. You're, you're gonna, in four or five years from now, you're gonna be watching the majors and see a handful of guys that you had a direct impact with or already see that happening now. And obviously you get more of a Rolodex of what makes it in the league and what doesn't. So from your perspective of being kind of in the trenches of that, like what's beyond the, the baseball skills standpoint, because obviously that's priority at, at, at a certain level, like from a makeup standpoint, character, work ethic, like what are the things that separate the the real dudes that make it in the bigs and versus the guys that are just great minor league players?
0: I, I think that, like, that's the question everybody wants to know. Like there's a, you see so many guys in the minor leagues and you're watching them and, and like, you see a high school kid throwing 90, you see a guy in the big leagues throwing 90, well, 90 is 90. Okay. Well, what else is there? Like, there's gotta be something else to it. That's, that's not, attainable by a number you know something that's not just looked at as a as a statistic um you know that the radar is the same regardless of where you're at those, those guys that make them they're so good like they're they're incredible players um and they work like they they know how to work they know what they have to get done they don't rely on everybody else to tell them what they have to get done i think that's kind of a trap that we fell into you know i did i know for a fact i fell into it where we were always telling players, you need to do this, this, and this. And there's very little back and forth of, like, how do you feel? What does that feel like to you? What are you thinking about that? Because there's times where I remember working out and and doing things where I, I would hear, like, hey, that looks good. And I'm going, man, really? Because, like, that feels like garbage. Like, this does not feel right. But what the coach is seeing, they're telling you it looks good, and what you're feeling as a player doesn't look good. So if you're not able to have that relationship, to have a conversation it makes it really difficult so i think the guys that are at a higher level it's fun when those guys climb in the cage or you're hitting them ground balls or something and you can say like what do you need like what what do you want and yes you can prescribe different like drill packages or put things together that they're going to do but then after that it's like hey can you go you know to my backhand side or can you really try and go here um but but they're able to like they're able to let you know more of what they need what they're trying to do and then they, they work at it you know and then You don't, you don't see the guys, you see a lot of guys in lower levels get really frustrated with their performance in like batting practice or, you know, during practice, it's like you're, if you're working on things, you're going to fail. Like you're not going to, you're not going to not ever fail when you're trying to work on something or learn something new. So that constant like evolution of trying to grow and trying to get better, it's not easy. Like it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's always going to be successful. And I think the guys at the higher levels understand that success in a drill doesn't necessarily correlate to being successful during the game like you have to fail your way through it and then you get the opportunity to use it in the game. Um, you know, we had the, the nice part being in Arizona the last couple of years was we'd have big league guys that were rehabbing. They would come back down and, and play for us for a couple of games while they're on their rehab assignments and watching the way those guys would go about it. And it's not just that, yes, like that guy's really good. And we see him on TV every night, but it's just the way that they go about it. It's the effort that they play with. Um, I mean, that, with TK Hernandez came down and played with us last year and he played like his hair was on fire for like five games. It was unbelievable. Um, you'd think he was a young kid trying to make a team. You wouldn't know he's a, he's a you know, big leaguer um, just based on the way that he, he went about it. It was incredible.
1: No, that's, that's really cool. Especially the, the part about them playing with like that effort and that energy level, because they love the game. From a roster and cultural development standpoint, what are some things that you've learned by being a part of this organization, by experiencing the things and learning from people in the organization above you um, about the way, you know, maybe scouting tenants or evaluating tenants that are like kind of core values to what the Dodgers do?
0: Well, first first of all, I will say like we get really good people. Like our our players, we get really, really good people. We we don't have like issues with guys. We don't have problems with guys. You know, they take care of their business. I think there's a part of it that there is a pride level in being with our organization because our organization, quite honestly, is the envy of most teams. We're really, really good from top to bottom. And it's because of the people that we have. We have incredible leadership from the very top. Like, Dave Roberts was on zoom calls with us over, over this COVID stuff, like being able to have our major league manager on a zoom call with just the managers and asking questions was like unbelievable. Um, Andrew Friedman like keeps in contact with guys. Like he checks on guys like that's president, like that's unbelievable. And then through the minor leagues, having the leadership that we do with our farm director, our assistant farm director, our field coordinator, like those guys, their leadership, um, pushes, I think, the coaching staff to work in a certain way that allows the players to thrive in, 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 an, oper- in, a, in an environment that I think will be conducive to a lot of success. And I think it's shown um, The we having good players, having good staff, having good people around, I think just breeds that that energy of, of being a good dude, like just don't suck as a person. And, and so having that, like where everybody's a bunch of good dudes, and then we have really, really good baseball players. So like you have really good baseball players who are really good dudes who do things the right way. Like all of a sudden things just kind of fall into place. And again, not that winning in the minor leagues is the most important thing, but we're trying to develop winning in LA. And so if we win in the minor leagues, you hope that they're used to winning in the minor leagues. And by the time they get to the big leagues, they're winning. So it's like part of it, you could say it doesn't really matter if you win in the minor leagues, which it doesn't, Because who cares? Like we want we want the big ring in the big leagues. But if we've won their whole career in the minor leagues, like we want that to continue into the big leagues.
1: Like the whole success breeds success and like learning how to win. But at the same time, I think what you said about at the JUCO level, like your whole goal was to get guys out. Like the whole goal of the minor leagues is to get guys to the bigs. And with that, that's something that I I was really kind of interested in as soon as like Lucas connected us was really the player development side of things. With football and baseball completely different games, right? And there's such an emphasis on the recruitment side and the player personnel side in football and there certainly is in baseball. But like the player development side and putting a plan in place of like hey these are the things you struggle with and that back and forth dialogue in season. You guys have to you know make adjustments on the fly game to game in the bus on the way to the next game because you can just play more games. Talk about the the relationship between player development and the player acquisition side and how you know talent coming in isn't necessarily what it's gonna be when it gets to your building um, and what you've learned through that kind of experience. Because now at this point, I mean, you've had a chance to develop and work with players at every level. What, what are your thoughts on the, the relationship between player development and the player acquisition well, side of things?
0: First, I'll say the one thing I know, like our entire minor league um, staff takes very we, we hold it very high um, and take a lot of pride in the fact that we have the most homegrown players playing on on a roster right now and have throughout the playoffs. Um, and I think it was like 14 guys that were, were homegrown, either signed by the Dodgers or drafted by the Dodgers that are playing in the big leagues with the Dodgers right now. Like, that's incredible. The fact that we're not. Yes, like you're gonna have to go out and trade and you're gonna have to sign pieces obviously to make us better. But like the amount of guys that we've, you know, gotten into our system and gone through our system and got to the big leagues is a huge source of pride for us. That starts with Becky like said, that player acquisition with our scouting. Our, our scouting department is unbelievable. And those guys, the, the work that they do, like scouting is not an easy job. Those guys are going out there and they're competing to not only, not only analyze a player's abilities, but get to know him as a, as a person and like know him as a dude and know if he's going to fit into our system. There's a lot of good players that might not fit into our system. There's a lot of, you know, pretty good players that once they get into our system are going to become like real dudes. So those guys are unreal at recognizing that and knowing what our player development system is like, and they're going out and they're getting the guys that they know will thrive in our system. So we've been really fortunate to have some incredible players and that, that's a result of this, the work that the scouts do. They cover so much area and they dig in with those guys. Like they give us a really clear picture when those players come in of what we're getting. Like we really have a good idea of what we're going to get player wise once those guys get into the system. And then once we get our hands on them, we can allow them to come in. We can allow them to fail because they're here. Like we're going to have our time with them and we're going to build that trust. We're, we're going to build trust with that player because, we're going to allow them to come be themselves. And then once they fail, now we can start to have some conversations about making some adjustments. Uh, but they also know that they're not going to get here from day one, and we're going to change everything about them. We're going to let them be who they are that got them there. And, and most of that is because of the scouts recognizing those things and, and letting us know ahead of time.
1: So then what do those reports sound like Like when the scouts are kind of giving you the rundown on, on a guy? Where do they start? What does it
0: sound like? most of it's, you know, first of all, how how they move, like what kind of athlete they are, what kind of mover they are. Once we've got that, that down um, and we know kind of who we're getting, um, you know, they'll give us a rundown of their offensive abilities, um, what they're good at, what they're not good at, you know, areas that they would foresee us adjusting. Um, And then, you know, there's other guys obviously that are projected to play another position than what they're drafted at, or they get drafted at a position that's not what they've been playing you know in their college career so most of those reports are just kind of giving us a clear picture of what that guy can and can't do and then once we have an idea of what he can and can't do we get him into our system and, and then we can also figure out like like if we need to make a swing change early with this guy that's already been discussed with him that's not it's not a surprise like he's not coming into our system and being surprised by us going and, and making a change in his swing you know earlier than what he would really like so we have a clear picture from the Scouts of what the guy's ability is. we have We've got a clear picture of what he's like as a person. Um, we've got a pretty clear picture of how he communicates. You know we we can we have a good idea of when we when we get our hands on the, on a the guy, um, how we have to have that conversation with him, how he handles conversations, because those guys have done their homework. So once we get him, the first time you meet a guy in our system, like you feel like you know him because we've we've learned quite a bit about him. So when
1: you talk about the communication side, like how he takes coaching best. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so, okay. Diving into that. Um, have you seen a, a certain type of learner do better in your system or is it just, Hey, as a coach, it's my job to make sure I I do the best job possible of connecting and building that trust.
0: Yeah. It's, it's yeah. It's on me, like it's not on them. And I think that's where, I found in college was everybody was expected to um, kind of gear them to their personality and their style towards what the head coach or coaching staff wants versus now it's our job to gear our personalities and our communication style towards each guy individually. Um, and obviously we have big numbers and we have a lot of staff and we have to, you know, really focus on our group and who we need to you know, really focus our time on. Um, and obviously that's for me, I, I can hear more time with our catchers so I can get to know those guys better and I can get to know, you know, who I can push a different way or who I can't, or when the right time is to talk to a guy, certain guys, like they just struck out. You don't, they don't want to hear your, your, whatever you have to say, like they know they struck out. They're very aware of it. You talking to them right then is not the best idea. Other guys, they want instant feedback. It doesn't matter what the situation is, or what the result was. So you, you, you have to be the one to get to know that. Um, and that's not their job to adjust to you, it's your job to adjust to them. And I think really the best teams um, are the ones that have a staff that are able to do that and not just say, hey, your, your job as the player is to adjust to me as the coach, because you know, now you're just kind of being stubborn. Well, the way you put
1: it um, on a different show, you said, how can you ask somebody to be bought into your program until you've bought into them as, as people? And I, I think that's just like the best way of just putting a cap on it. Something I'm interested in with with baseball in particular. You get players from all over the litter of the world, and I know that you've you've talked about the instructional league with um, in Dominican Republic. Um, obviously, you've been to Alaska, you've been to Cape Cod, um, you're from California, you've been everywhere. Um, how how has kind of learning different regions from a, a talent level from the way kind of the the 365 calendar works at different areas of the country. Um, how has that kind of helped you guys as you build your rosters and build your teams of kind of understanding where a guy's from and what the difference in talent is from region to region?
0: Yeah, I don't think, excuse me, I don't know if that's going into, like for us, if we're taking that as much into consideration, we're going to try and get the best players we can. And if they end up all being from California, then we're going to get a bunch of Californians. If they end up being a bunch of Southeast guys that just throw, you know, ungodly velocity and hit balls three miles, then we're going to take those guys too. Um, but I think as a college understanding that, like that could really play into your advantage because there, there are, there are very uh, there's pretty distinct differences in the way that the games play in different regions. You know, look at some of the, some of the schools right now in college baseball, that have done really well and look at how many pitchers are coming out of like the Northeast not really an area you would think would be developing pitchers, but you know, you get those guys in the wintertime and all they can do is throw indoors. You know, guys in California that are still getting 75 degree weather, like you can go surf instead of throw. So there's enough to say they all do, cause you know, I'm a little biased to Californians, but um, the there's just, there's different, um, there are different, definitely some profiles that you could be doing as a college coach for different regions of the country. And, and I do think if you use those to your advantage, you know i think you could put together a pretty good roster if you if you spread out yeah midwest offensive lineman
1: uh i got i got some guys in, in the building that, that always holler at me about that so uh kind of getting into the recruiting side um you started your own website you know i talking to you before this call obviously COVID put a lot of things into into, into some uncertainty you know as far as like hey yankees are laying off people hey they're laying off people you know, anybody's up for game. So you started this recruiting deal where you started to kind of consult people and and help out families uh, involved in that. So talk about, you know, what got you back into the recruiting game and what you're doing right now um, in that kind of field.
0: So, yeah, like there was obviously a lot of uncertainty. So trying to, you know, cover cover my bases. I've got a wife and a French bulldog I need to be able to take care of. So. Um, you know, just making sure some some of those bases were covered if the unforeseen were to happen. Um, but yeah, like that. So I was I actually sorry, because I was on, on, on a call with a buddy of mine with his team. And, you know, we got to talking about some of the prices that guys were paying for like these recruiting services. And I've, you know, being in college baseball, whether it was in junior college and trying to get guys placed, Division one schools with, you know, getting random emails from kids. Um, it, it kind of almost got like personal for me to, um try and do what i can to help people out and help maybe educate them a little bit better um maybe give them assistance and and putting a plan together with you know how they're going to be reaching out to schools. especially right now there's more kids reaching out to schools since not as many schools are going out to recruit at least the division one level um so that that kind of became like the reason behind it um you know it's just the i think the recruiting process for high school right now for for college um overall at least in baseball is it's it's a nightmare um and i don't i don't know that anybody really likes the way it is right now i don't know if players like it i don't think coaches like it it's almost done because it's, everybody else is doing it it has to be done that way and so i think because of that it leaves a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of speculation and a lot of hearsay so that was kind of my my reason behind uh wanting to get involved and, and trying to kind of provide something that was hopefully a little bit more cost effective and um hopefully more helpful did it
1: go back to uh, the email you got when you were at new mexico from a recruit
0: the which which one <laughs> the one that the kid wrote at new mexico state oh yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i i being at being at university of new mexico you know us in new mexico state or, or rivals and all that but their their coaching staff was outstanding i mean they had some, some outstanding guys and Brian Green, their head coach, um, is a really, really good guy, and he's a great coach, and he's now the head coach at Washington State, and so this kid, you know, sends me this email, and he's like, you know, dear Coach Green, like, I think he said, dear coach, like, I've always wanted to be an Aggie, and, you know, New Mexico State's for me, that's where I want to go, and I wrote back and said, hey, man, like, I agree 100%, they're doing things really well, they're developing, here's Coach Green's cell phone number, I'm sure he'd love to hear from you, so I don't know if he ever called him or not, and if I ever see Brian, I hope he isn't you know, mad at me by, for handing out a cell phone number, but I thought it was funny.
1: Okay, so now fast forwarding to, to, to the here and now for baseball recruits, for football recruits, whoever. Um, you're trying to get recruited by a school. Um, what's the process to, to making that happen on an email? And I, I kind of know the direction you're going to go with this, but kind of go through from step one to hitting send. Like what, what does that
0: need to look like? You, first, first and foremost, you you better put the coach's name in there. Like I I for every email that I got like from a kid that sent me you know an interesting if it said like and it was constant it would say dear coach I'm highly interested in your program and I, I'd go to the delete button and hit it and never look back. Um, it's like if you're not gonna put my name in it you don't even know who you're talking to you're just sending it out to everybody that's at a Division one school. Um, that's not going to work. We're, I don't want somebody that's just trying to find a place to play. You know, I remember getting an email from a kid in, in Minnesota, and he was like, Hey, I've always wanted to be a Lobo. I'm like, Well, no, you haven't because you're in, in Minnesota. Like, you've not wanted to be a Lobo your, your whole life. Um, but, like, if you want to be a Lobo, come out to one of our camps because we're not going to Minnesota to recruit. And he's like, Well, I, I can't make it out there. So, like, well, we can't make it out there. It's like, we're, we're kind of in this impasse now. Like, what are we going to do? Because we're not going to see each other. So, like, best of luck to you. So if you're going to send out a math email, like you better know, first and foremost, what you're expecting to get back. Like, are you expecting a camp invite? Are you expecting, you know, a scholarship with the penthouse suite at the dorms? Like, what do you think you're going to get back by sending every coach an email? So you better put the coach's name in there you should talk about their school, at least recognize them and identify them. Um, You know, if you get an email and they don't have your name in it and doesn't say anything about Rice University, like, are you going to go think that kid really wants to go to Rice or just... He wants to go to a school that's willing to have him. So I want to see my name. I want to see, you know, my school's name. Um, And hopefully, like, they show a little bit of knowledge about the program, like, the direction the program's in, where it's been, where it's going, you know, how recently you've had success, what that success is looking like. You know, kids talk about schools they have no idea about, and it's like, well, that school's really, really good. You sending an email saying that you're interested in their program is not going to make that school. You know, go after you hardcore because you're interested in their program. Like they're already really good. They're going to a regional every year. They don't need you. So, what's your, like, what do you offer that somebody else doesn't? So, I think just the identification of yourself in the school becomes really big because that's going to be the first turnoff. Um, you know, keep the emails shortened to the point and keep the videos shortened to the point. You know, we want to see a video and identify, like, okay, that's a good swing. It's worth following up. Or is that swing's not going to work. That arm action's not going to work. So, we're not going to waste the time. You wanna come out to camp, great, but we're not gonna be able to recruit you. And how much of this applies
1: to the field, like the 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 job, the industry of coaching, scouting, recruiting? Um, because I think everybody, you know, wants to kind of get that next big job, right? And I mean everybody has goals and aspirations, but if you don't do a great job where you're at. Right now, you're never going to get that opportunity. But also, when you're reaching out to other people, our our last guest on the show, Eric Galco, was talking about like you got to like have some type of value to bring. Like you got to bring something to the table. So, um, what are some things that you've learned as you kind of navigated different positions about like the best ways to like reach out and, and try to kind of network and, and and really climb quote unquote climb ladder. I hate that phrase, but um, Kind of pursue your goals uh, professionally.
0: First of all, you have you have to be honest. Like you have, if you're not, there's nothing worse. Like because you see, we, we talked to like travel ball coaches or high school coaches, and they are no not to offend anybody, but the, a lot of those guys are hanging their hat on their ability to move guys to the next level. We did it, at junior calls. We wanted to move guys on. Now that didn't always mean Division One. Like that might mean Division Two, Three. NAIA, but we want guys to go from junior college to a four-year school. That's our that's our goal. And hopefully something that's appropriate for what their ability level allows them to play at. If you're a high school coach or a travel ball coach and you're trying to get your players out, like don't lie. It does nobody any good. Don't tell don't tell a college coach that the guy's throwing 93 miles an hour and they go see him and he's 89 to 91. Like that's not 93. You know, don't say a kid runs a six, six 60 when he runs a seven, seven second sixty. Like those aren't the same thing and they're not really that close in, in the grand scheme of things so just be honest like don't talk about a kid in this glowing light if he doesn't deserve to be talked about that way so you have to as even as a player like if you're a player you better be honest with guys like if you're a college coach you better be honest with guys if you're going to be sending out scouting reports like be honest don't sugarcoat it like just be straightforward be honest and i think that's the biggest thing guys want to move up they want to move on And there's a right way to do it. And there's a wrong way to do it. And Everybody's seen examples of the right way to do it. Everybody's seen examples of the wrong way to do it. You've seen the guys that recruit based on what they need. And they, they, you see the guys that recruit based on making sure nobody else has that guy. So there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. And I think everybody gets to choose how they're going to go about it, but being honest and upfront about things um, about official player skill levels, I think are are the most important thing. Um, And then from a coaching perspective, like, just going out there and being like your last guest said, like be where your feet are, like do really good where you're at. Um, you know, we, we always used to kind of talk in junior college about, I made it very clear. I wanted to coach division one baseball, but like my goal was to win a California state junior college championship and get every single guy on to the next level. And if it's not, if you're constantly looking at your next job, you're going to suck at your, at your current job.
1: This is awesome. Um, where can our listeners find kind of all the different things that you do? And, and even the the recruiting website as well, you can drop, uh, you know, where we can find all that information, because I think you do such a cool job of, you know, branching out and really providing value and, and, and insight to, to people that, you know, need to hear more about this stuff.
0: Uh, my website's baseballhub.org. Um, you know, I'm trying to do some camps and lessons and stuff like that and obviously right now given how things are like the virtual things becoming you know more real and um we don't know when things are going to go back so yeah all the information's on there you know some recruiting information and um probably you can send an email if you got questions or anything and like hopefully just trying to be a resource for people and and shoot them straight and give some reality of, of how this uh, this recruiting thing is actually looking
1: awesome man um before I let you go, what's the uh, what's the coffee that was brewing? Because I know you're a big coffee guy. What, so what's just yeah. give us give us one hot take on hey, this is good coffee before we hit the end on this show.
0: You gotta gotta find an arabica whole bean. You know, find what roast you like. I mean, the the darker roast doesn't mean more caffeine because it burns a little bit more, so it actually takes a little bit of the caffeine. Try to stay in the middle of the roast. Um, the one I went with this morning is a, it's actually, I went with a dark roast. It's a Bali bean, uh, and it was aged in a Buffalo trace bourbon barrel. And I used the AeroPress and, uh, yeah, it makes a nice cup of coffee. That was the biggest thing
1: that I finally learned was that, cause I always wanted dark roast cause I was like, yeah, yeah. I want something stronger. And then, nope. uh, nope, it's the exact opposite. So yeah, exactly. They, Hey, man, I appreciate you for jumping on the show. You have a good one. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.